And we've all been there, all of the PTs, Greg, all of us have experienced this. So we're very empathetic in kind of meeting anyone where they are and kind of talking them through what to expect and that we're we're gonna get there. It's just gonna be a matter of time. And then we're still gonna aim for all the goals that you've written down, always the healthy longevity first, and then working and chipping away at the performance goals. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm Anne. And I'm Ali. Hello, hello. <laughs> Someone's got to do hello, hello. Yeah, I, I just, this double hello has kind of become a natural thing, just comes out of my <laughs> mouth. Coffee. <laughs> Bing. Bing. Hmm. So. What, what are we drinking? <laughs> um, I was in Switzerland. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we're drinking the beans you were shaking. <clears throat> yeah, I was in Switzerland, and I on the way back, I was like this coffee addict through the airport, just grabbing different coffee bags that looked good, like, a, and like almost none of them were in English. Everything was in either German or French, and I was like, I don't care. This bag looks good. I think it's good. <laughs> I'll just get one. Um, and the one we're drinking is the coffee company is called uh, La Semus. I think that's how you pronounce it. I think so. I think so too. L-A-S-E-M-E-U-S-E. And they have, apparently they have a lot of blends when we looked at their website later on, but in the place I was in at the Duty Free, they only had two of them. They had Brazil and Ethiopia. I was like, oh, I like both of those countries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll get the Ethiopian version. What does it say? We looked at their website, right? What, What kind of coffee is this? It's supposed to have hints of ginger and chocolate. So it's, it's very, um, I was going to say robust. <laughs> so I always say robust. It's not acidic, which is really nice. It's smooth. One thing you kept pointing out is how good the beans smell. Yeah. Like when you just, just open the bag, it's incredible. It's yeah. so, so robust. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. Like it smells really, really good. I think just combination of chocolate with with coffee but just in the right proportion gives this aroma that is so incredibly delicious it is really good yeah and i think you i learned something coming back from jamaica and i think you learned Mm -hmm. on your experience coming back from switzerland which is that if you buy coffee before you go through security at an airport you have to buy beans you can get the ground coffee on the other side of security, but if you have not yet been through security line, you have to only buy beans. I, I think even in your, in coming back from Switzerland, they told me even in my checked luggage, there really? shouldn't be any ground coffee. That's what yeah. I was told, because she asked me if I was gonna check my backpack, and I said, well, I'm going to because I have cheese, chocolate, and coffee in there. And she said, okay, um, are the is the coffee ground? I said no, they're beans. She's like, okay, you'll be fine. If it's ground, they take it out. My, as a as a nerd who wants to figure things out in his yeah. head logically, I thought, okay, maybe the machines can't tell what the powder is, so you just can't put powdered yeah. substance in the. I also think that the smell of the coffee can mask other things. Ooh, so the, maybe there's yeah, like maybe there's dogs can't smell if there's. Um, other things yeah anyway this one's really good can we have another (laughs) we're not in tsa but yeah (laughs) 
This is about running. I know. <laughs> it says a full-bodied co- coffee mm. with fruity and spicy aromas. Here's the marketing spiel: an intoxicating scent. <laughs> and delight- it is kind of actually. That's what I was doing. I was smelling the bag. You know what? They're right. That yeah, you did that before I even read that. So it says, <laughs> and delectable notes of ginger and chocolate to finish. It's really good. Well, it's fitting that we have really good coffee for a really good guest. That is true. Who is this person? Someone who is really special and important to both of our running journeys. Um, This is Kathleen Fitzgerald. She is our physical therapist. And she works uh, with Custom Performance here in New York. Um, They have a location on 41st between Madison and 5th. And I think they just opened a pop-up in NoHo. Um, We can check out that address later. Mm -hmm. Um, Kathleen... She goes by Kat. She's a senior physical therapist and running consultant at Custom Performance, and she graduated from Ithaca College with her doctorate of physical therapy and went on to pursue further specialization in outpatient orthopedic and sports care, obtaining her certified strength and conditioning specialist certification, functional movement screen certification, and certification in applied functional science. Uh, She believes in a hands-on approach, and she uses the latest manual techniques and functional corrective exercises, which is, we've both experienced that. It's like Graston and also strength strength work for balancing um, and correcting imbalances. Kat is currently working to become a certified manual physical therapist specialist, and she's also a Roadrunners Club of America certified coach, and she's an avid runner, and she's run all distances, including the marathon. And her favorite distance is the 10 mile or the half marathon. Um, can you tell us before we welcome Kat on, will you tell us a little bit more about Custom PT? Because it's the, it's a really wonderful company and they have helped us and many runners that we know. Yeah, I think when when I had my stress fracture, that's how that's when I was told by one of our fellow coaches to go there. Mm-hmm. And I just was in, so impressed in just just from walking in and the way everything was sort of set up um, there. It's it's a really neat space. And we'll, we'll get into kind of all the details with Kat, but it's very runner-specific. So a lot of times you go to PTs, and if it's not running-specific, where they're taking a really broad approach to PT, they might tell you the same thing. Someone who's running 60-mile weeks, they might tell you the same thing that they might tell mm-hmm. uh, someone who's not a runner at all or not an athlete right. at all, right? So you have uh, you've gotten plantar fasciitis. So, so I think I think like I've been to PTs where they'll be like, just stop running, mm-hmm. like don't don't do this for I don't know three months, four months, something like that. So the approach at Custom was very different. Just the very the first evaluation was, what are your running goals? What are you going towards, right? And asking all the what seemed like all the runner related right questions on like um why I was there but not just because of my injury but what were my goals that I was trying to achieve and that really appealed to me right like because we're all sort of trying to injury is just part of the business it's going to mm-hmm. come it's going to happen no matter what um so I really liked how their approach was towards the longevity of running mm-hmm. and towards my overall goals, right? Um, and I think once when when we start talking to Kat, she'll she'll talk about one of the things of 
their approaches around um, looking at the survey results that they get from people who come in and fill out the forms. The very first thing everyone says is like, I want to run for life. And they're like, okay, so why don't, so, so their approach is around that. And yeah. I really, really like that. What was your, what was your experience like? I just was really impressed with your recovery. And when I went in there, it was, I was going in there because of some very specific things that you had heard your therapist say, Kat say, which was basically, unless we address the problem, it's not going to go away. So what's the problem? The problem isn't the injury. It's what caused the injury. Mm-hmm. And what I loved was um, going in there and the acceptance of that I'm also having an emotion. It's an emotional experience as well. It's not just mm-hmm. a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. And I was sent away with things to do right away. And so it made me feel like I had some control over my injury. And I like that it's not you're not coddled either. It's just like no nonsense. Mm-hmm. So with that, <laughs> shall we welcome Kat? Shall we just dive right in? Here's a PT yeah, question. I, yeah. <laughs> Actually, before we introduce Kat, we have some exciting news to tell our listeners, which is that we have reached, we have surpassed 3000 downloads on our podcast. So thank you so much, everyone for listening. It's really wonderful. And we hope that you continue to enjoy the podcast. And actually, on that note, there's another uh, good news about the podcast is that this this interview is our first offsite. We're becoming like the mobile <laughs> podcasters. We have taken all of our equipment and taken him to the custom office to interview Kat. Next stop, Chill Track Friday van. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a GoFundMe for that. All right. <laughs> it comes with a satellite dish. <laughs> All right, all right. Should we give the bad news? What is it? That we're going to be releasing bi-monthly. Oh, oh, I'm forgetting all the important notes <laughs> and news here. Yes, we have decided, given everything that's going on, and um, that's not to say we won't come back to weekly at a certain point once we have figured some of the timing things out, but right now we have decided that we're going to go to every other Friday. Yes, and the reason for that is because we want to keep the quality of our content, but we both have full-time jobs and... Is that what's getting in the way of this podcast <laughs> and our running <laughs> like everybody else? Um, so we're coming to you every other Friday starting this release. OK, sorry. <laughs> I think it's about time. They, they're like, OK, you know, we're, we're done with it. Yeah, They're like, like big deal. Who's who's the guest? Can we hear from this PT person? We've been waiting for a really long time. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Kat. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, so. Ali and I and many of our friends and some of our listeners are clients of Custom PT and you guys do such a great job and you've helped me a lot with my injury and I came to see you through Ali who was seeing you for a few various things. <laughs> Ailments. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to talk to you about kind of what you see from a physical therapist side of running. Something that I was wondering and this is maybe like an involved question with an involved (laughs) answer but you know we age we can see our age on our skin and we see that we're aging but which means we're probably aging internally too so one question I've always had is like are there there must be some aging that goes on with our muscles and our tendons and our ligaments and stuff and what does are there like certain injuries that might happen based on like someone's sex or their age or like the distances that they're running or what they're doing? Because is there any like, rhyme or reason to any of it? Yeah, it's all, 
it all can be categorized, I guess, to age, gender, um, kind of demographics, right? So when we look at injuries in research, there's generally a typical demographic for a lot of them. A big example is Achilles tendonitis or Achilles tendon ruptures that tends to be middle-aged to older men for men for whatever reason sometimes they can be a little bit tighter than females stereotypically um that's probably the most classic one most people tend to um well not most people everyone loses muscle as they age as if they're not working on it right so if you're working on strength training and all that you're going to build muscle fibers and build that neural connection and all that stuff but if you're not working on it it's going to atrophy like my leg for example right now is useless <laughs> um it's going to atrophy very quickly uh that's regardless of age but then the rate at which that happens will get worse with age mm-hmm. usually after 30 to 35 which is pretty young yeah right so everyone should be working on strengthening right away <laughs> wow yeah that's really interesting i had no idea that it would be that young I thought you were going to say like 45, 50. Yeah, 30 to 35, the rate uh, decreases. And for, I forget where, what journal had published it, but the calf muscle is the first to go typically um, in terms of losing that strength ability. So calf strength, especially for runners, right? That's where you push off and get a lot of your power. It's huge. That's interesting. Do you, do you remember from the study or just from your own knowledge, like, why why the calf? Because you there, think it's used a lot. Right, right? there's a theory on it. Um, I don't know, there's no, th- that I know particular research about the theory. The theory is, right, so back in the day, uh, everyone's walking around barefoot, hunting, you know, um, way back in the day. And then we start to wear shoes, and then we start to move less, right? A lot of desk jobs, a lot of that sort of stuff. So we're actually using those muscles less. And the theory, well, one theory that I've heard is that it's an evolutionary thing almost. It's like, let's not waste our energy on this because you're not using it as much. Let's put it somewhere else and then it just atrophies. But if you're an athlete, that's very detrimental. (laughs) So everyone should be doing calf raises. And um, generally, when someone comes in for an eval here, that's one thing I'll look at for every, it doesn't matter what your injury is. I'll see how your calf raises look, and at what number on a single leg you'll start to weaken or show signs that you're losing endurance and that sort of thing. Oh, so we kind of get a baseline on everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's usually pretty clear. Does something like kick out or? There's compensations oh, that happen, or you don't get up as high, or you'll start to see that heave that people kind of push their whole body up through the, <laughs> through the lift, that's or they pull on a wall or something. Do you find in your experience with athletes that come in and are injured and then get better and you send them out with a protocol of things to do, do you find them coming back later? Do they do? Do people do? (laughs) Um, I will give our clients a lot more credit than, well, athletes in general. I will give athletes more credit than your average person because they're highly motivated. It's kind of 50-50. Everyone will fall off on their consistency typically once they are feeling good for a month or two. And then maybe it's not the same thing that comes back. Maybe there's something else that happens. Or what I most often see, right, is a lack of patience in building their training where they start to do, try and add speed, try and add mile all at once because they think they're fine now, which they are, their injury is better, but you still need to follow a progression. You can't just jump and throw everything back in there. That's probably the most common thing. The rate of healing, does that change as well as we get older? Yes. The most 
concrete example is bone healing. Um, we were just actually talking about this yesterday because we'll have kids, high school kids with stress fractures that might be more, you know, growth or it's that classic kid coming off the summer, coming into cross country. Maybe they didn't do their homework over the summer. They have high mileage, they get a stress fracture. Mm. Their bones can heal pretty quickly in six to eight weeks. Whereas depending on the severity of the stress fracture, an older person, it might be more towards that 12. If it's really bad, even longer healing process for the bone, which is again, not fun for aging. Do you, I mean, obviously body health and bone health is very holistic. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. involved. Do you think it's that huge. diet is really important yes, to that? Yes, yes. Um, bone health on, that's one of our biggest flags in here, right? So I'll, we see people off the street. They're not necessarily have a prescription, which you don't need to mm-hmm. um, in New York State legally. For PT, you can just walk in. But that means we have to screen for all these things that could be more severely going on. Like maybe someone's got low iron, maybe, you know, low vitamin D, maybe they do have a stress fracture. Um, And the bone health is, that can all be connected. So then it's a matter of looking at, do they have energy deficiency problems in terms of, are they not getting the iron, the vitamin D, the calcium from their diet? Is there some mental health stuff going on underneath? It's usually a little bit of everything, almost always, yeah. So I'm, I'm relatively, even in running, quite inexperienced from especially the coaches and the other runners that I'm running with all the time, right? They're like from high school or from a very young age and mm-hmm. I have tons of experience. But as I'm kind of seeing more and more, one of the patterns that obviously, it, it, it goes with everything that we were talking about. One of the patterns that's quite obvious is someone gets an injury during a training cycle, then right, there's a host of mental things that come with it, like the pressure yeah. of like, oh my God, what's mm-hmm. going to happen now? Um, but eventually you can't cheat physiologies. They go through the motions of what they need to do to get that fixed and then something else happens. And then and then it happens, it's something, and then after that, it's the third thing, and then it's the fourth thing. Mm-hmm. In general, what do you see, what's missing in that from when that happens to athletes? And I would say it's probably more true of inexperienced athletes than the experienced ones, but yeah. it probably happens in experienced ones too. Yeah. So generally, if you think of it like mileage on, this is just how I sort of think of it, mileage mm-hmm. on the body as like a whole, right? Through your whole life, your, your training age essentially, right? So if someone starts running in high school at age, I don't know, how old are you in high school? 15? Yeah. <laughs> 15 and then now 30. They, they're 15 years into their training age. So they have a lot of experience under their belt. So if they come out of whatever injury they have and they come back in, it's very, it's way more natural of a process for them mm-hmm. than someone whose training age is maybe three or four or five. But I feel like that get, that's something that gets missed so much today where everyone's kind of forcing the envelope a lot and they don't realize they're still, you know, maybe they've done a lot of marathons in two or three years, so they feel like they're very experienced now, but they're still very new to the sport and new to whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's running or anything else. That's such an important distinction that it's not, it's about your training age, not mm-hmm. how many races you've run in that time. Yes, yes. Yeah. Our, we had a guest uh, a couple of weeks ago who was talking about training age, and that was really the first time that I'd heard mm-hmm. that phrase. I mean, I understand the concept. It, it definitely helps because I think also as someone, I'm older, I'm, in, I'm almost 42, and 
So there's an element of like, oh my God, I'm running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though, you know, I'm not. But it's all relative. It, yeah, it's all yeah. relative. But you get that sort of momentum. And I think that also in New York, when we've talked about this during For sure. like when there's races every weekend, mm-hmm. it kind of um, can help, it can get things out of balance. Yeah, the term actually training age is sort of, I think it developed, or at least it's commonly, commonly heard in youth sports, right? It's like, well, the kids genetically developed at age 12, but they started playing the sport four, so they're four years training age versus maybe their peer that's been playing since they were five, mm-hmm. right? So it gives a better comparison for kids, especially because they're developing physiologically too. So when you have a patient who might have a higher, like a yeah. larger training age, um, are they, wh- what does their body feel like? Is it different than someone who's new? <laughs> uh Yes. Um, yes, I would say, especially if they're also physiologically older, there's, we don't really have a formal word for it. Like if I'm talking to Kathleen, like she and I work a lot of the same hours, so we'll see each other's people sometimes. And it'll be like, you know, it's one of those guys that's been running for a while, ran in high school and college, and he just has that, that type of tendon, like yeah. those <laughs> like very ropey, maybe a little thicker tendons that aren't quite as mobile and move as well as maybe someone that's a little younger. Um, But at the same time, someone that's older might have built a lot of good muscle and running muscles specifically versus someone that's new to the sport probably has no core stability whatsoever versus someone that's been doing it for a while, that sort of thing. That's so interesting. Do you find one advantageous over the other for whatever reason or it's just different? Like I'm talking about in terms of the age. That, yeah, the age, the ropey tendon, because they've been there for so long versus someone who started um, six years ago. I think that that's not totally black and white because it's more dependent on their mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone's got that potentially risky tendon and they're more calf dominant runner, that sort of thing, on their if they're a forefoot striker, right? That's going to be a little more risky than if someone's a midfoot or heel striker and has that. So it's really dependent on that sort of thing when we're looking at injury risk and then performance too. It's two different things that we put them under different umbrellas. People talk a lot about like the mechanics of running and yeah. that, you know, heel striking is <laughs> really bad and people should be four foot striking. But it, I mean, there's also an element of like what your body naturally yeah. does, right? Yeah, for right. sure. So it's better to just stick with what you have. Is heel striking as bad as everyone yeah, says? Can it we is? Set so, this to bed yes. for a second? Like, yeah. Heel striking. God. You're talking to like the world's worst heel striker. Yeah. We go to conferences. Everyone, if they showed the bad video of someone running, like, oh look, it's Cat on the screen. Like, thanks, guys. Uh, um, my heel striking is not good. So there's different. It depends on a few things. It depends on what's happening in the rest of your body, right? So if it's all good and you're landing mm-hmm. where your heel is relative to your center of mass which we all carry in our pelvis is the most important part so if the heel is out in front and your body is way behind that's not good that's a bad that's a bad heel midfoot any type of strike really because um, it's going to be technically a little bit of overstriding but then what's going to happen is you're going to hit the ground and then have a second um source of impact i guess so heel and then when you load it so it's this we call it a double peak of impact versus just that initial smooth loading, and that's way riskier. Um, unfortunately, that is my natural gait that I've worked <laughs> to move away from. So heel striking in and of itself isn't bad, it's just how bad is the angle, where is the foot in relation to the center of mass, are kind of the two main things to look for. Yeah. yeah. 
Is that the big thing with overstriding, the double peak? Is that what's happening with overstriding most of the time? Um, that would, so that, when I said overstriding there, I just mean the foot relative to where the body is. Mm -hmm. And that term just is the most simple way for people to understand what I mean. When you hear overstriding, that's generally like this big grabbing of the ground forward and you're kind of pulling as opposed to pushing behind you. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to see more hamstring strains and that sort of thing with overstriding. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I have um, one client who has a tendency. It's very interesting. Um, I think because this person does not typically run on treadmills ever, but if you put this person on a treadmill, they will overstride. And I think it's a safety thing for some people. So it's something everyone can watch out for, um, where they're worried about being falling off potentially, right? If it's not a familiar environment. So they'll push really close to the console and kind of grab out in front. And there was a period over, I think this past winter, where it was bad weather, so they were running inside a lot. They came in saying their hamstrings were bothering them. It's just this overstriding pattern on the treadmill that in an environment they weren't used to. It was interesting. That's yeah. so interesting. Like you said, you talked about that to something very seasonal, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk some of the other seasonal things that happen that you see all the time and you can even make it really new york specific because it's seasonal event one of my favorite stories were was when i was i was coming here regularly for my stress fracture and you said a week after the east side track opened and you're like these people are coming up with one-sided injuries and we just figured out why that's happening because the track yeah, is open again it reopened after being closed for so long and everyone got so excited and <laughs> they didn't ease into track work they just went out and went for it and it was all very you could tell which direction on the track they're running basically based on how the injuries occurred um, right now currently we're in <laughs> the beginning of cuboid syndrome season as we call it around here which isn't great um, it's thanks to all our potholes and terrible sidewalks and all that stuff um, so basically what ha the cuboid is a bone in your foot um, it's just kind of it's on the outside in front of your heel bone and behind your fifth toe so it's a little cube cuboid right in there and what can happen is it can sublux or dislocate which sounds super extreme but it just can pop right out and cause a lot of pain but it's something that we can fix pretty easily we just did it um earlier this week for someone actually and last week because it's cuboid season <laughs> but um Basically, what happens is if someone rolls their ankle, right, you get your ankle sprain, everyone can take care of their own ankle sprains, but then it, there's this pain that won't go away, and they think, uh-oh, did I tear something? Did, well, like, what happened? And they usually come in, and then it's just they sublux that bone, and it just moved a little bit out of place, thanks to all our potholes and really awesome streets in the city. And then we just pop it back into place, do some soft tissue work, stabilize it, use some tape, all that good stuff. I remember you were hoping that that was my issue. <laughs> yeah, that's a quick fix. <laughs> that's really helpful. Yeah. What? Any other seasonal things come to mind? Um, the, definitely this past year we noticed the pattern of the overstriding on the treadmill for sure. Um, that's a bigger thing. I will say probably in... July, August is maybe when we start to see a little bit more Achilles stuff. Um, I don't know if that's a hydration thing or what the pattern is there. That's a late summer thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool because not a lot of places can notice these sort of patterns, mm -hmm. but we see so much of the same demographic that 
It's like, huh, that's a little weird. We always see cuboids once the weather turns and everyone starts running outside. Wow. Or um, the treadmill thing in the winter. A lot of it is just that once the weather turns, everyone just overdoes it, really. They get too excited. They want to run in Central Park. When Then once they run in the park, you have hills to deal with, maybe some downhill injuries, which are more knee-type impact stuff, typically. Yeah. How much are you a big believer? Coaches have different takes on this, but from a PT's perspective, mm-hmm. how much are you a big believer in soft surface running versus finding the balance of doing still road running? Most of the running is road running in New York, right? It's hard right. to find trails. Um, um, if you do do trails, you're stuck on the same loop for many, many miles. Right. And I have people that will do that, though. That yeah. They'll run the bridle path for the long run. I mean, God bless them. I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But um, the soft surface thing, I think... It def- there's definitely evidence to show that it does lessen the impact um, to the degree that some people hold it to, maybe not um, in terms of importance. Uh, and given that you know we're running on concrete here a lot, it's definitely something we think about less often. But it's there is benefit to being on softer surface. I generally won't. You know, some people will ask if they have an injury, should they just run on the grass or around the track and generally not I'd, I'd rather have them in their environment because we're trying to condition you to your running environment most of the races are going to be road or if you're running track then we need to work on that mm-hmm. generally Interesting. can I take you back to the training age thing mm-hmm. one thing yeah, yeah. so you mentioned like well, that's one thing that gets missed in trying to figure out like what you should like you keep getting injured because you're coming back too quickly but you don't have the training age that's what you're missing like the body isn't accustomed to this Mm -hmm. is there is there a ballpark number where you can start becoming a little confident in your like okay now like 80 years I don't know I'm just pulling that out of my head or it's sort of different for everyone I think it would be different for everyone um and it would also depend on what you did right over Mm -hmm. those years a little bit um generally Unfortunately, for, for the for people that start running later, the ones that are running high school, maybe college too, they're going to be at a bigger advantage because they've already, especially speed-wise, they've conditioned their legs to turn over faster, all that stuff way early on. So that's going to set them up better down the line. Um, a specific number? I Yeah, I'm not sure on that. It really depends on the person. And are they injury-prone? What's their body me- anatomy like, body mechanics, that sort of thing? Yeah. Wow. One thing I notice by coming here, that to custom a lot, and maybe we can focus on just custom as a whole for yeah. a second. You guys are re- compared to other PT places I've been to. They might be very like narrow focused on the injury, on what just happened. But there is this sense I get at custom, which is being involved with the athlete in for for the long haul, like longevity of. Mm-hmm. of being able to run and incorporating running even during injury. Can you talk about like customs mission in that? Like I feel yeah. like that's really key to what you guys do. Yeah. It, so, and if I even have that right. No, you do. That's, okay. that's great. That means we're, <laughs> we're expressing it well. Okay. Um, so we're very goal-focused goal and not on our goals, on whatever you guys come in saying your goals are. And nine times out of ten on that intake form, the first thing everyone writes, regardless of if they have Boston coming up, you know, and they don't know if they can ever be cute again, like whatever it is. The first thing is almost always, I want to be able to run for the rest of my life and, you know, do it healthy. So that's kind of 
that's always going to be first for me, right? Making sure they're going to be able to run and be healthy. And then the performance goals are going to be secondary. So we kind of look at it big picture. And this has developed over time, too, because we used to kind of look at it in terms of training cycles. And then more recently, we started to look at it in terms of a full year, right? Because now that we've been around a little bit, we're seeing people more consistently. Like, okay, so what are the goals for the whole year? What do we need to do in terms of preventing injury in that time, getting you to the performance goals? Um, yeah, and we kind of look at it in an annual sort of way now, at the, currently, is how we look at it. I love that. Toe yoga has become part of my <laughs> everyday thing. Yeah, I love toe like, yoga. It's stress fracture. I remember the very first time I came in, even though I came in for like a stress fracture script, like took my right toe and you turn you're like well well this this doesn't work so um can you talk about either you can use me or if it's okay even and like as a case study from like us maybe there is no finish but at least from <laughs> inception of someone walking in and what goes through your head and like here's what i'm gonna you know this is what i'm looking for not really in a specific but in kind of conceptually mm-hmm. what that process is that goes through your head okay yeah. I think just because Anne's was more recent, I might use yours because it's fresher in my mind. Um, when was that? No, I came in in January. January. With sinus tarsi syndrome. Very, very rare ankle condition. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Anne came in in January after I had already gotten the lowdown yeah. from Ali, so I kind of had some information at the time, which was great. I feel um, like I knew you already. <laughs> it was really good. So he had been asking questions kind of to try and help her out, which was great. And then um, you came in, and it's actually a really good example of what we see a lot here for a lot of different reasons, where you had some bigger goals coming up and had to, had to miss some of that. And that's a lot of stress mentally and emotionally for the person. And then generally what happens when when it's the sort of injury that you can't quite figure out on your own is you try and run a little bit, you get excited or maybe just let yourself get a little bit hopeful, then it comes back and you're out for Then you're like, okay, I'm going to rest for five, 10, whatever days. Then you try to get into this vicious cycle and then they finally get in the door. And then it's a matter of on day one, there's a few things I want to establish. I want the person to completely understand their injury because we need to set expectations, right? Because if someone's expectations are they're going to run in a month and it's not, that's so devastating. Like, because they're going to lock onto those four weeks, like their life depends on it. And that can be really, really devastating to then say, oh, well, we're not quite there yet. Or even if it's getting out of the run walk or whatever system we're using. So setting expectations in terms of what their diagnosis is and what to expect in terms of getting back to running as best we can at that time, right? Because we can't always say it's going to be an X date down the road. So doing that and then we want to always make sure we're giving you guys things that are super effective, but that you can do right away because it's going to help with something going on in terms of a lack of mobility, a lack of strength, pain management, mechanical issues in terms of your running gait, it's going to help on a physical side. And the sooner you start it, the sooner we can get going and get to work on fixing things. But also it's going to help on a mental, emotional side, because then you're doing the work and you're kind of empowered on your own, empowered by running, um, to kind of be a part of your own care and rehab, right? Because I'm only there one, two, maybe three hours a week mm-hmm. for someone. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot more hours in the week that no one else is there. So we've got the diagnosis we want to understand, the expectations, we want to give you something to take away. And if possible, I like to try, well, we all do, get people on the treadmill right away because everyone, they're a runner, right? And they want, that's, and a lot of times, a lot of people haven't looked at their running gait, which isn't great because sometimes even if it's not the cause of injury, it can be a part of perpetuating it, or at least we need to change something temporarily so that you can start running, protect the injury, and then maybe change the gait back later on. Mm -hmm. So we want to address all that in the initial um, evaluation. And then we want to address any sort of emotional stress that's happening, right? So like most people, Anne was not happy when she came, which is understandable. And we've all been there, all of the PTs, Greg, all of us have experienced this. So we're very empathetic Mm -hmm. in kind of meeting anyone where they are and kind of talking them through what to expect and that we're going to get there. It's just going to be a matter of time. And then we're still going to aim for all the goals that you've written down, always the healthy longevity first, and then working and chipping away at the performance goals. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely my experience. And I remember you gave me lots of exercises to do right away. And I did feel empowered. And I felt like I, even if I'm injured, I know that I'm under someone's care who's giving me direction. And I, you also had me do a run walk kind of immediately yeah (laughs) I hadn't run for I think it was three or four weeks and I was very scared to do that yeah it was good we I am saying we we generally all kind of function in similar but different ways but I'll speak for myself so I like to give as many people as I can the ability to start some sort of return to run program whether it's just constrained time or mileage or a run walk as fast as possible um Obviously, there's some situations. If if someone's coming in limping or has a yeah. bone injury, they're not gonna they're not gonna be running. But generally, we try and do that right away um, because it's also part of why they're here to build back. And unfortunately, a lot of the times we're on a deadline, right? Mm-hmm. Like we this weekend, we've got New Jersey, we have London. All these those are deadlines for us essentially to have our work done. So when you think about someone in business, right? They have that deadline. Our deadline is the person's race. So, yeah, (laughs) got to have everything ready to go. One question that uh, has been crossing my mind just because of what I've been going through is, do you find that there's, I mean, obviously if someone's having symptoms, they're having symptoms. Right. But there's also an emotional hurdle to get over with the coming back Mm -hmm. in terms of the hypersensitivity to the injury. Is it really still happening? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, a bone is broken or it's not broken. But if it's an inflammation issue, it can be a little bit... A uh, little nebulous. Yeah, fluid. Yeah. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Yeah. And w- Ali and I often talk about how orthopedics come to an injury based on structure, but PT and chiropractics more from a functional perspective. And that's, that's why we include, yeah. that's why you include doing rehab and running in with the healing process. Can you talk yourself out of that last element of of the? Yeah, and a lot of the times it's hard to recognize, and that's another thing that was a pattern here that we found eventually, because it was sort of the same um, words people were using to describe Mm -hmm. their symptoms or pain, whether it... So if you experience it, right, it's real real to you, so it doesn't matter to me it matters to me but right, like in right, that right. moment it just matters that okay this person's feeling something 
but how they're describing it maybe saying well you know it was just there it was there it didn't hurt it wasn't really annoying i didn't feel it after but it was there that's kind of a very common descriptor that's with that everything else is kind of fine but there's still this pain going on at the end and maybe it's a little bit more you're very aware of the area of the body that was injured or very sensitive so something that i did personally to get out of my own head for this is i don't tend to listen to music or anything when i run is i and i chose to listen to a podcast while i was running because you have to focus on it more than music so that I didn't think about, it was my knee at the time, I didn't think about my knee the whole time, so that way by the end I could say, okay, no, it definitely didn't hurt because you didn't have to stop mm-hmm. listening to the podcast and acknowledge it. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a good, if you can find something to distract yourself basically while you're running, that way if you're then distracted from that by your pain, you know it actually hurts. Hmm. That's yeah. clever. <laughs> <laughs> I like the going back to like customs overall approach and your approach I, I like you talked about this recently like there's you guys are looking at obviously you get singular patients all the time right so there's mm-hmm. like point to point like this person's having this but then there's a whole collective thing that you guys are doing like like you're looking at it as a, as a collective as well like mm-hmm. here's a trend during this season and right now this is what's happening so are you guys and from a business perspective, are you guys keeping an eye of like using some sort of like digital tools to like log all of these things and then go back and look at it quarterly and something like that? You know, we aren't, oh. but oh. that is not a bad <laughs> idea. Um, we do what we do do for any staff that comes on. We have a very specific um, orientation and manual, and some of that includes like which that'll probably get added in. Um, it'll include like how we go through not too specifically, but different diagnoses and stuff like that typically and things that we specifically do and look out for that is a little bit more unique that you wouldn't necessarily be cute to do just as a PT coming in from a traditional orthopedic clinic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, a lot of people probably come after they have seen an orthopedist, right? Um, or- yeah, sometimes. Uh, I would say that's getting more common as we've grown is getting more referrals from orthopedists or other um, medical doctors. Uh, most commonly, it's word of mouth or people just walking in. Uh, Google, <laughs> it's great. Oh, <laughs> they uh, Google running physical therapy NYC, yeah. most typically. Um, yeah, that's generally how most people come in is without a prescription. Do you recommend that people go see... PTs like yourself even when they're not injured just to see what's up and get a regime for strength and things like that yeah so what generally in a perfect world right (laughs) in a perfect in cat's perfect world not anyone else's um someone would come in for an injury get through it be totally fine and then they'd move into more of the performance side so that would be the injury rehab side of what we do then they would move into the performance side which would be possibly doing some very specific strength stuff to them specific meaning to them individually and to their running goals Mm -hmm. with greg the our athletic trainer um once a week twice a week once every whatever is decided so they're doing that and then maybe when we have a couple people on this sort of plan right now um coming in once a month to see me or whoever their physical therapist is which 
and it always surprises me because I think, you know, we're going to check in, make sure things are good, good to go. There's always something (laughs) either that might be bugging them. That's like, okay, we need to address this, you know, mild IT band pain right now because we don't want it to become true IT band syndrome. That's a horrendous thing to deal with. Or maybe they're doing something that isn't the best decision, right? Like, let's not go to three speed work treadmill classes in a row or something like that. Like, let's not do that. Remind you of someone else. Sometimes they just need that little reminder or someone just to tell them this is a bad idea. Yeah, they might not know. I had an email today, someone asking me, should I go to my team's speed work um, next week? Parentheses, I just need someone to tell me this is a bad idea. That's what it actually said. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, sometimes we know... But we need someone. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I have my coworkers treat me, and I know what I need to do for myself. Mm-hmm. But I still want someone else to tell me. That way, I have no excuses. For so, so let's talk about wrong. cat for a second. A <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's you're you're in a position where you're seeing so many people come in here for different things. People have different aspirations, all different personalities, and I like I just just observing you're like so good at dealing with people meet them at the level like you said you guys are empathetic because you're all runners yourself so you have gone through your injuries do you find it like (laughs) difficult to internalize what you're doing here you know you would think um difficult to well difficult to like separate you mean yeah you would i i'm actually surprised that it's not and i think it's because I just get so focused on like taking care of the patients and everything that even when you know I was w- walking around in a boot, that's not something I can hide from everyone, and everyone's <laughs> gonna ask about it because you're all very nice people. But it's I'm just like okay, that's fine. Like we're not worried about that right now. We're worried about whatever you're here for, and so I it's very easy to keep it separate. But I will say at the same time, it is a reminder to how to relate to everyone on that level for sure on a regular basis. <laughs> How long has Custom been open for? We have been open since fall 2014. Yeah, okay. November 2014. Were so you one of the founders? Is that uh, Wendy Wynn is the owner and founder. Mm-hmm. She started the place and just, so we're on our manual care side, so this was just um, the only room. And there was a small desk at one end, and we fit a squat rack, squat rack a big mat exercise area and a treadmill in this room. Um, And then I came on, there's a part-time PT, I think, at the time that isn't with us now uh, because he got a full-time job. But then I came on that spring, I believe, spring 2015, so not too long after, Mm -hmm. which I will say has been really exciting and I've loved it because you get to be a part of and kind of see everything grow from, you know, my first two days, I didn't see anybody. We didn't have any patients for them. We, we had to go and find them. Literally, yeah. we would go in, like out to different uh, offices and market during the summer because it's New York City. The summer's yeah. dead time sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would take field trips on Fridays because no one's in the city on Friday in the summer. We'd go over to HSS, drop off some uh, like graphs and info and business cards and all that that was summer 2015 yeah it was wendy leah and myself leah 
was originally like our daytime admin person, but now she works offsite, does our, she did our takeover actually recently mm-hmm. on Instagram. She does offsite, a lot of billing, a lot of paperwork, which is great because it sounds like terrible work. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Leah. <laughs> That's amazing. So how yeah. long did it take you guys to get everyone in the door? Wendy at the time was still treating. She doesn't treat now. Um, she was still, she's a physical therapist. She, she her caseload, because she had done a lot of, she had worked many years prior in other clinics and then also had private clients that when she opened came in here. So she had her caseload going. And then mine just, we kind of slowly built up, but it, it did make you be very aware of how you connected with people, right? Because if they don't come back, okay, now you still have no one, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah. you had to create something that was really valuable that people would want and need essentially to get what they wanted. And yeah, and then we got to build our new space a couple of years later. That's amazing. Hire more people, which yeah. is great. It's a beautiful space, too. <laughs> it it's a very space. comforting and welcoming it is. in terms of what you could potentially go through. Right, it's not that... Under um, cat's elbows, but it's still very comfortable. <laughs> I'm like, you're strong. <laughs> oh my gosh, if it was like the same lights as the dentist office, <laughs> can you imagine? No, we gotta make it warm and warm. We have snacks. I know, you have snacks and a coffee maker. Yeah, <laughs> gotta keep it friendly. So, will you tell us a little bit about your journey to become a physical therapist? Sure. Um, I Well, I went to Ithaca College, which is a six-year accelerated program. Um, some options are you go to undergrad in some sort of science, and then you go to grad school for three years and get your doctorate. Um, I went in when I was 18, which this still blows my mind, and said, I want to be a PT as an 18-year-old in high school, 17-year-old in high school at the time, and applied to this six-year program where you would do your undergrad in three and then your graduate the final three. And that's what I did. (laughs) And I'm so glad it worked out um, because, you know, I know some people that did it and don't necessarily love it because, you know, you're 18 and you don't know what you want to do with your life. But um, fortunately, I really liked it. And I always knew I wanted to be in healthcare. And it was a debate between med school, PT school, um, had a very uh, close family friend that was in med school that sort of talked me out of it. (laughs) <laughs> which was very funny. Um, Lucky for us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you. On a selfish note. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, going. but he had a very good point in that if you want to work with people, that's not the way to go, right? Whereas this mm-hmm. environment, you can spend time with people, build relationships, and get to see them through in this very specific setting to their races, their goals, all that stuff, which is really exciting. Um, and then, so then I graduated from Ithaca, moved to New York City, worked at kind of just a generic outpatient orthopedic clinic, saw a lot of um, elderly patients. I did try um, to get some running stuff going there. I remember setting <laughs> setting up this little screen at, it's not even a New York running company. I think Jack Rabbit had bought them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, somewhere in the Upper East Side. I went up to that store, had a whole little thing set up or some people did a screen, you know, but the environment in the clinic just wasn't appropriate for that. So it was time to find something new. And at the time, and I'm still working on it, I was working on getting a um, man, orthopedic manual therapist certification, which is a lot of coursework, hands-on stuff. And so there's um, an organizing body for that. And there's a job posting within that. And Wendy had posted a job within that 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want. And I came in and interviewed with Wendy here. She hired me. I was super excited. And then, yeah, I've been here for four years now. Four years? Wow. Yeah, it doesn't feel like four years. It's been very fast. Wow. And here yeah. we are doing Toyota. Right. I know. <laughs> Spreading the word. Can yeah. You, uh, I don't know. Sorry to put you on the spot. Do you have, like, any your funniest or favorite stories working with people? Um, so, <laughs> there's so many good ones. Um, there was one, so, you know, HIPAA compliant, no names. There, yeah, there was um, yeah. one, there's so many good ones. One of my favorites, um, so how our, our room is set up, right? So there's tables all down one side, and then across from the end tables are where our desks are. So basically, if patients are down at one end and you're working with them, it can kind of become a nice like camaraderie thing with the other therapist there. And I had one client where she would always come to that end, which was nice, you know, and then everyone kind of knows that person, which is also helpful, honestly, if they, you have to be out of the office. That way everyone's familiar. But she comes in, you know, for a while now. She was a novice runner, moved to New York running her first marathon after she witnessed it and was very inspired. Like, year one, run the marathon the following year. Yeah. Always my favorite. Right, <laughs> but then, right. um, so Kathleen was sitting here, and she always would come in with these rolled-up jean shorts on. And they, they were cuffed, like, mid-thigh, I think. And... She would come in for PT with them. And I really didn't think anything of it. You know, I just went about what I was doing. We were working, like, mostly lower legs, so it didn't even it didn't affect what we were working on. Um, and Kathleen one day said, does she run in those jean shorts? I said, no. And Kathleen said, well, have you ever asked? I said, no. And so now we're both standing here waiting for her to walk in. She walks in, and she lays down, and I asked, so... What do you usually run in? And she said, these. Yeah. So she had been running in jean shorts the whole time and had been not incredibly comfortable in them. So then we went through a nice long list of um, where to get athleisure, some leggings. Next time I saw her, she had some great coral leggings on. <laughs> it's I, so hot to run in jean but shorts. But the lesson was never assume anything, yeah. ever. So I, I'm, I ask the most obvious questions now as a result, and everyone kind of looks at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, you would not believe the things I've seen. That's true, to ask the obvious questions. Yeah, you never yeah. know. That That's was funny. Yeah, it had been a few weeks at that point. Thank you, Kathleen. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, that could be causing your injury. They're tight in the wrong places. Does not right. like right. risk right. blood flow And you're down just the, like uh, not moving right because you're uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. You mentioned that there are different seasons to injuries. Is there, are there any typical injuries that you see the most of, regardless of the season? Yes. Um, that generalized front of the knee pain is super, super common. Um, yeah, I would, I would say that's probably the most common one, which that you'll hear runner's knee, right? Mm -hmm. Big umbrella term for a lot of different things underneath it, which could be that patellofemoral pain syndrome, fat pad impingement, patellar tendinopathy, quad tendinopathy, all this stuff can be going on there. Um, and a lot of mechanical stuff too. That's probably the most, mm -hmm. most common thing I think we see. And is a knee injury, I mean, you can't diagnose a general thing, but mm -hmm. is it generally weaknesses in, and imbalances? Um, for 
that's generally what can help it uh, or addressing those weaknesses and imbalances. It might be something that's a part of how they were born anatomically. But if you're addressing the muscular stuff, it can be enough to compensate. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly with just that front of the knee pain. If we're getting more into the actual knee joint, your femur and the tibia joint, that's gonna be more you know, internal joint damage type stuff, like meniscus and ligaments, that sort of thing. But that very superficial front of the knee, a lot of that can be fixed with the strength and all that. Uh, I just saw that Shalane Flanagan posted that she has a horrible patellar. Uh, she basically tore the tendon off of her knee. Interesting. I know and she had a surgery this past how, week. Is that was yeah? It that's that? what it was. Okay. How does one run the marathon that she ran in Boston on like basically no tendon there? <laughs> um, I mean, they. She. I would imagine that she probably had, and it would I guess be what's appropriate, right? So um, a lot of orthopedists mm-hmm. around the New York Marathon. Here, they're very busy giving a lot of uh, lubricant injections and right. cortisone okay. injections. So maybe something along those lines. Wow. Um, and maybe like, it was way worse after, yeah, you know, right. by the time she got from start to finish. Right. If, you know, I'd love to see imaging at the start line and the finish line. Like, yeah. what was the difference by the time she got there? I mean, who knows? Because <laughs> that's a pretty serious injury, right? Like, yeah. Like, uh, was it her patella? I mean, yeah. either or her patellar yeah. tendon. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. We've like had a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a long road for sure. Yeah, wow. In Kat's ideal world, what is one technology? <laughs> this this question's coming from what right, you just right. said. Like, <laughs> I wish there was imaging as runners went through uh-huh. the starting shoot and amazing. then the same oh, image. So interesting. So what's like, what like something like that, or what else in like Kat's utopian PT world <laughs> technologies that would exist that you would like to see? Um. So I say this all the time, and I feel like, I don't know if it sounds really weird, but I wish, because not everyone is good at describing what they're feeling or even where they're feeling it. Um, And I wish I could just press a button, not the whole time, because that would be miserable, and just like feel what they're (laughs) feeling (laughs) for a little bit. Because I've had people describe like that patellar pain, we were just talking about that kneecap pain, as a cramping sensation so then your mind's going one way then you have to really tease it out and then once i got talking to this one particular individual i was like hold on a second have you ever had a like a muscle cramp because i wasn't sure if they had based on how they're describing but it was actual like over the joint where it was hurting so if i could have just pressed that button we would have saved 20 minutes wow yeah that is interesting. Or like in the, what we were talking about with the hypersensitivity, yeah. right? Maybe a little more awareness there if I had my magic button. <laughs> right, because that interpretation is all based off of experience, mm-hmm. right? If you have only had some kind of cramp somewhere else only once, right. you don't know what that feels like in the calf specifically. And you're or... just like, what? this is all I can think of to describe this like really unpleasant feeling that I'm having. Yeah. And that's the word that came out. <laughs> in PT school, do they have people describe what an injury might feel like? <laughs> so they, there's a whole, like, uh, it must have been like an orthopedic class or something. Uh, maybe not, but like pain description. Mm. Um, you want to know, so actual descriptor words, like dull, sharp, mm-hmm. 
all that, the intensity, which that whole scale is extremely subjective, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, if someone's swinging their leg, telling me they've got 11 out of 10 pain and talking, it, like, no. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> like, right. Even the scale is subjective. You're like, more our problem here is when they're telling me two out of 10, they're limping in the door. Right. right. That's yeah. the bigger issue we have to deal with. Um, so it's like New Yorkers. Yeah. 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 It's like, we have to have a very we have yeah. to have an intervention. You look like my, my calf fell off but it's like a 1.5 right exactly exactly <laughs> don't mind the blood <laughs> right <laughs> it's not good so you've got all that so we they talk a lot about how that is so subjective that zero to ten scale but we need something right yeah. so we have to give some sort of scale to use the scale descriptors and then activities it's associated with frequency and duration of the pain are all big things and a lot of that I want a lot of details on personally because when people are getting better and they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, I want to be able to point out, well, last week at work, you had to get up every like less than 20 minutes because of the pain. And this week, you haven't mentioned that once. So maybe yeah. that's improved, even though you still have pain with running, right? Because that's what yeah. everyone's always so focused on, that they can't see other improvements. Yeah, it's true. It's like a maze of feelings and sensations mm -hmm. and the calendar goes slowly like yeah <laughs> yeah it comes to a screeching halt uh, i like your approach of and i'm maybe it's like a common practice amongst pts like you i forget what one of my injuries you asked me like so how did it feel when you get, got to the top of the hill and i was like did, did it hurt and i was like hey, let me think i can't remember you're like it didn't hurt you would have remembered and i was like oh yeah of <laughs> course <laughs> let me yeah. think about it <laughs> right if you have to really think about it, odds are it was maybe a one to two out of ten or yeah. nothing. Yeah. Nothing significant that we're worried about at that point. Right. So I mean we both had injuries where it doesn't hurt while running. Mm -hmm. So like how does how do you deal with something where it's like you know, I call it the run hangover when it's the next day that I feel it or you yeah. didn't feel your stress fracture when you were running. In fact it felt better when you were running. Yeah. Like these sorts That's of not typical. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's maybe it's a question that's unanswerable. It's just there's such a there's never there's not a textbook for anything. It's just so it's it's hard to deal with things like that because maybe soft tissue issue issues are more challenging because I, yeah, it's it's not black the bone stuff can be the most linear healing, yeah. which and that's when people can get glued to those expectations, mm -hmm. right? So they go in their boot or whatever, and orthopedist says four weeks. They go back, they get out of the boot. Now we start alter G um, treadmill here maybe. Uh, and then move to run, walk outside. And it's very linear unless there's some underlying nutritional or other sort of deficiency mm -hmm. going on. It can be super progressive and rewarding for the client because that's, okay, we're moving right along. No, yeah. no snags along the way. Uh, versus the soft tissue stuff is trickier for sure. Yeah. It's a lot of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest to a healthy runner to do strength-wise in order to remain healthy in a perfect world? Would it be a lot of different things or there just a few? Um, I try to keep it realistic. Like when someone asks, when we talk about coming, like for the people who are kind of on that yearly plan, some of them I've given very specific strength work if they're working with Greg, if they're not working with Greg, yeah. right? That way I know what they're doing. And the first thing I want to know is what what time can you realistically dedicate to this, right? Because mm -hmm. um, if it's not, you're not going to do it if it's not realistic. And that would go for the healthy runner too. So say you can dedicate like 30 minutes, two, three times a week or something like that, right? Because running's still the priority, and I get that, right? We're trying to do the strength so that you can run more. That's the, that's yeah, the right. idea. 
Um, but generally, you want to get a lot of, you hear core, there's all these buzzwords now, like core stability and all that stuff. Um, but you want to be stable and well aligned, like single, a lot of single leg work can be very good for runners, right? Because generally when you're running, you're either on one foot, the other, or in the air. You're not gonna, you're not ideally ever gonna be on two feet at the same time if you're running. If not, you're walking. Um, So that's single leg work. And then a lot of power um, in terms of glute, hamstrings, quads, calves, right? We're talking about calves. They start to atrophy, first ones to go. That's huge. I've become a stickler about that since I was reading about that with doing a lot of calf raises with everyone. Um, The foot intrinsics, the toe yoga, it's huge. Um, So generally, we want postural stability stuff and then when you think of strength more traditionally, those are going to be your bigger muscle groups like glutes, quads, hamstrings, calves. So it's those two categories, really. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, High heels. How do you feel about high heels? I can tell you the last day I wore high heels. (laughs) (laughs) It was, wait, December 31st, 2013, 14? Nice. Um, Because I have a chronic knee problem, right? Mm. Anyone that's got... A proclivity to injury should not be in high heels because it's put it's changing where your center mass is all this other stuff um if you're right if you're prioritizing you're running over whatever you need the heels for mm-hmm. now if you have to wear heels to work and that's that's a whole nother road to go down of where you need to prioritize but generally not recommended because with this chronic stuff like the knee thing the next day, New Year's Day, whatever, 2014, 15, whatever it was, I woke up, big swollen knee. Mm. And ever since then, if I wear high heels, it's just not worth it, right? Yeah. So then eventually, I feel like what happens a lot with runners that stick in it for the long haul, they kind of get there too, where it's just not worth it at that point, right? I'd rather be able to run than wear these heels for this one New Year's yeah. Eve party. <laughs> I haven't worn heels in years. Which I did not wear on the walk home in the snow. <laughs> My husband carried them and gave me his shoes because he was a gentleman. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and your husband's a PT. Yeah. You guys met in PT school, right? We did. We shared a cadaver. Um, <laughs> so romantic. Yeah. We dissected a cadaver and the rest what was that history. Like? It was that first day. It was also my 21st birthday, first day of cadaver anatomy. So that was super awesome. Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was kind of weird at first, but then it's cool because you're trying to learn and you kind of move past what you're doing a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was cool. Was it, it must have been interesting to like feel the Mm -hmm. actual muscles which I think is where we get those terms like ropey and Uh when we say stuff like that I think it goes right back to that when Mm -hmm. we were feeling it like oh okay that's kind of like a ropey sort of like some nerves can be ropey yeah so we usually ask end our episodes by asking whoever the guest is to give if they had one training tip for runners what would it be you're a PT, maybe one to two. <laughs> like I can do one big one that can cover a lot. Yeah. Um, so, and we talk about this a lot. I'm always going to look at, not pretty much always going to look at things from injury prevention first, performance second. Whereas probably a coach is going to look at it the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if, 
and for some people it's going to be the risk is well worth it if they're trying to make olympics if you know as you go up the ladder it could be well worth it so mine's always going to be injury prevention performance very very close second but with that i would say everyone has to earn their mileage right so by that i mean it's kind of like the training age thing where you're talking about you need to have slow progressions over time in terms of how many miles a week you're running, what your long runs are, what kind of speed work you do, how often you do speed work um, over time so that your body's adjusting to these teeny tiny increments and then you can avoid these overuse injuries that are so common. And I think a lot of it is, you know, we live in New York where there's a race every weekend and you have the opportunity to race all the time which is great and it's super fun, but then everyone gets kind of tunnel vision on getting, I need to get faster right now and I need to do it by, and I need to do my um, world major marathons in this much time and by this date. And so they're rushing the whole thing when really in a perfect setting, it would happen over years and not, you know, even three or four years, much longer than that. And they can build it up nice and slow, which that's, I mean, if you look at the pros, that's exactly what they do. And I feel like we are also living in a very interesting time, a time of instant gratification. Yes. yes. <laughs> Technology bringing things to us very easily. Technology has made part of the reason why marathons become this huge business is because it, you know, the message reaches out to so many people and mm -hmm. it's been made accessible for X, Y, and Z reasons. Or having so many races in a place like New York City. And I think all of that's kind of combined with the instant gratification it's part, so which is making people sort of, I think, push into the realm of injuries and not not kind of think of it like, no, I just, I, my, my running age is three years. Right. <laughs> my, my, my running training age is three years, and so I should, like, be Act patient. like a three-year-old. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Um, it puts things into perspective. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for that training tip. Want to do... Want just finish? I want to finish by talking about a little bit more about custom. So yeah. you yeah. guys do a lot of, at least from what I see, like you guys do even outside of PT and performance things. Mm -hmm. Like there's Streets 101. Can yeah. you talk about some of those initiatives and where they came from? Yeah. So um, I I love our company. We Wendy supports anything that any of us want to do, any big dreams we have, yeah. which is great. Um, and it's great for the business too. Mm -hmm. So um, Greg Lariah, our AT mentioned him earlier, mm -hmm. he's always like he's always talked about wanting to start a running team. And when we talk about like we have individual meetings one on one every week where mm -hmm. we talk about our goals and we're small micro and big macro. And one of his was to start a running team, and he did it last year. That's Streets One Hundred One and. Basically, it started as just open runs on Saturdays to see what he wanted to do, test the waters, and then we sort of created a support system around it physically and also, you know, morally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then it was adding in the practices Tuesday, Thursday for that. That was a big, so streets is one big one. Um, we also, we have our pop-up going on downtown right now at Mile High in NoHo. And then um, we also, a long-term thing that I would like to, I'm looking at our wall, right? Because yeah. we have all our goals written up there. Um, we have a big meeting every year about it. And one of my personal things is 
Because uh, a lot of the patients and clients that come in, they've seen other therapists and just aren't getting what they want from it. And that's not necessarily on the... Sometimes it's on the therapist, but not always. Sometimes the environment can be so bad where they're seeing so many people in an hour. They're doing the best they can. And this is where my husband used to work in a place like this. He'd come home so frustrated. And the, he described it really well that on a very good day, he could give B-plus care. He never had the ability to give A-plus care. And so to me, that was super frustrating for other therapists that want to be able to do that and can't in their environment. So with that, we wanted to kind of create a continuing education program for other PTs to give them the tools to work with runners in a better way and more efficient. That way they can still do what they have to. So we've got streets then for like community type stuff. We've got our education for our therapists. And then we've also last year and then this year, we go around to some of the major marathons, uh, generally on the East Coast, and do our pop-up Fresh Legs events there. Mm -hmm. So we were, I wasn't, but uh, Greg, Elizabeth, and Wendy were in Boston doing that. Uh, Just Fresh Legs services uh, with Rabbit and Roll Recovery. And then we'll also be in Chicago, obviously New York, just here at Custom, and um, Philly in the fall as well, doing that event. And for New York, you know, we make a whole, we have a whole big celebration. We usually bring in a great guest speaker. Mm-hmm. We just do a lot of community outreach too. Where can people find out more about Custom? Um, we are big on the Instagram at nycustompt. And then info at nycustom.com is the email, just if you have any questions. And then website is nycustompt.com. It's all straightforward. You heard it, listeners. Um, good? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank guys. you so much for Thank you, guys. <laughs> See you next week.